glad you joined us for New Hope's Sermon of the Week. For more resources, be sure to contact newhopecom.org. We hope you enjoy this week's message. So today is Mother's Day. Um, I thought of something, a funny parallel this week. So I, I do want to honor all the moms. My mom is here. Good morning, mom. My mother-in-law is here, so it's a very special day for me and for the Hogan household. It's great to have uh, both moms here in this, in this place at the same time. Of course, my wife, Joy. So many other mothers in this area. Um, you know, we can all relate. We've all had a mother. So we can all celebrate this day. If your mother's gone home to be with the Lord, it's a great day to, to honor the memory. And even though it can be painful, we remember the things that, you know, that they poured into us and instilled in us. If they're here on earth, make sure you, you honor them. I was driving down the... I, is, I commute to work every day from Chai Light and I go to Victor. Uh, I see very interesting, interesting things happen on the commute a lot, especially you know, all types of drivers and weird situations and things. And this, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was driving 490 and went through the city and I saw up ahead of me a car and it was an older, a little bit of an older vehicle. Um, I was, you know, I, I do tend to drive more directly, I like to say. So I was driving on the left lane the whole way to, to work. Um, and I saw up ahead this lady driving and she looked like she was a little shorter behind the wheel. You know, was it Jerry Seinfeld says yeah. that should be the state flag of Florida, right? A, a wheel, a knuckle. <laughs> uh, anyways. So, um, so driving down, I see this lady up ahead. All of a sudden, the roof of her car flies up in front of the windshield. And she's driving like this, and I'm watching this thing, and I'm just trying to imagine it looked really humorous to me, but I'm thinking of the terror that was like, for her, you're going 60, 65 miles an hour in this car, the roof flies up in front of your face, and, or the hood, I'm sorry. Yeah, not the roof would be a whole other issue. Uh, but yeah, thank you. The, the hood. So she can't see anywhere she's going. And I'm just thinking, what would I do if I was in that situation? So after a few minutes, or like, well, it wasn't a few minutes, maybe like 10 seconds, it probably <laughs> felt like an eternity for her. But I was watching, I just kind of slowed down. I'm like, I don't want to be anywhere near that car because I don't know where she's going to end up going. But she like ended up slowing down and it went, slowed down enough so that the a hood of the car closed, and then I saw her kind of veer off and get off at the next exit, <laughs> probably try to fix whatever that problem was. But I think she had a bungee cord, and it looked like it didn't work, and the thing flew up as she was driving. So it was humorous a little bit, but like I was terrified for her. I'm thinking she must have been absolutely terrified in that car. But I was telling Joy about it later, and I'm like, that kind of is like a good parallel to motherhood sometimes. <laughs> Where it's like, you're going, you're driving down the, you know, you're going down the path of life, you're doing what you can do, and all of a sudden the hood flies up, and I'm like, I haven't encountered this before, I have no idea, this thing's moving, and I don't know where I'm going right now, I, you know, like, and, uh, or for parenthood, or fatherhood, or whatever it is, but uh, it just made me think of a parallel sometimes, how moms feel. Uh, you know, I know when, uh, I think back when Joy, when we brought uh, Marissa home, my oldest, who's now going to be 14, it was like the realization set in of like, wow, like remember you were real emotional at that point, <laughs> unlike any of the other ones. And I was like, I don't quite know what to do here. You know, she's you know, pretty, a little bit emotional about this, but it was the realization of we're totally on our own now with this baby, right? And I mean, like, there's no manual at this point forward. I mean, we've read all the books, we did everything we knew what to do, and now we have this baby and our moms aren't here, our parents are here, it's just us. You know, it's a little bit of a scary realization. Everybody always asks us, you know, what was it the most difficult going from, you know, one to two, two to three, three to four? We always say from zero to one. <laughs> like, you have no idea really what you're in store for and how your life's going to change, right? I mean, oh my goodness. So, yeah, that's always our little saying from zero to one, without question, everything changes. Um, so, yeah, anyways, so that's that. I want to just share a little bit. I have a, a thing on my heart. It's going to be a little bit more general, and then Joy is going to come up and close us out this morning with something even more, more geared uh, for the moms. But I was just thinking about this this week. The Lord's been speaking to me through a passage, and before I get that, I just want to kind of set the stage a little bit about where I'm going to go with this. 
But, um, you know, from the moment we're born, we're faced with the need to grow and develop. And I think about that. From the minute the baby is born, there's a struggle for life. There's a growth. So much growth happens from zero to five, right? So much of the development of your life is set in stone at that point. So much is happening. Life moves forward. Then we have the teen years, you know, where it's like, oh my gosh, you're struggling with your own self-image, our own identity at that point. Um, there's pressure, there's peer pressure, there's, there's just pressures of life, you know. Then you get your first job, and we need to start developing skills, and we need to constantly be developing skills, right? It never ends. It's like you never just sit here and then coast. So there's always this pressure, and most of us, if we've been raised around here, we know, like, well, we have to continue developing or we end up like Kodak, you know, which, you know, ran on for a while and then just didn't do anything and, you know, really lost steam. So we, all of us in the workforce, kind of have that in the back of our heads, like, well, I can't totally become irrelevant, so I need to, like, learn new things, learn new skills. So we're, we're, we deal with that pressure. Um, you know, if, depending on what your job is or your career, if you're in sales, you're just trying not to get fired. I mean, it's in essence, right? You're trying to sell enough so you don't get fired. If you're, in, if you're teaching, you're trying to keep up with the latest New York State you know, requirements of what the state says you should be teaching now. There's pressure in the teaching world, right? There's pressure in the social work world of, you know, there's so much to do and there's not a lot of budget to do it, and uh, you're all stretched. So I, I just feel like, you know, sometimes there's just this thing in life of just pressure and needing to grow and develop. And then you add in comparison, you know, and then the challenges of comparison in our lives and, you know, comparing ourselves with each other. And whatever stage you're at, well, you should be married by this point, you know, as you feel like society tells you. Yeah, you everyone, you should be married by this point. Or you should be moving into your second house at this point. Or you should be retired at this point. Here's what it looks like. So there's comparison. We're battling comparison all the time with our neighbors and our friends and who has what and who's how far along or what their kid is studying in school and then what my kid is studying in school. It doesn't seem like it's significant. You know, right? I mean, if we're honest, we probably all have to do that. We battle comparison. We battle envy. Um, I was reading this this week. I thought this was such a great scripture. Proverbs 14.30 says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh but envy makes the bones rot. You know, it's like, ooh, you know, I don't want that in my life. I don't think we talk enough about a tranquil heart in life either. You know, what is a tranquil heart? What is a, a peaceful heart? Uh, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. You know, when I think about this too, we, so we have comparison, we have envy, we have um, significance. Right? I know I, this is definitely something I always have felt on me. I've wrestled with at times. We strive in our culture for significance. Right? Can anybody relate with that? We all probably deal with this at some level. We struggle and we strive for significance. Now, let me clarify this. And I, I'm sharing all this because I'm going to go in a direction, if, in case you're wondering. Um, but all you have to do is look on social media and you see everybody striving for significance. Everybody wants likes on their posts. Everybody wants a message that's going to cut through and that they're going to get a lot of followers. I mean, there's just this struggle for significance. Um, now, I'll caveat that, say that there is good significance and bad significance. I think God put in us the need to grow and develop his people. He put in us in the DNA the need to emotionally connect with other people. You know, Maslow's hierarchy, needing to feel safe, to feel connected, to have friendships. So that's good. That's why I talk about good significance. There's bad significance comes from a place of orphan-heartedness, where we don't feel like we have attained, or, or we don't feel we have the approval of a father, and we're striving from a place that is, um, that's going to disappoint us our whole life. So there's good significance, striving. I think that God has put us here to make a difference, I believe we're called to change the world. We're hiring a part-time children's director right now, not just to watch over the kids and help them color, but to raise up the next generation of world changers. Because we really believe, in a, I mean, who should be changing the world but believers who know who God is in them, you know, who knows who Christ is in them. Uh, we should be out there, you know, leading the charge. 
Um, so there's good significance, bad significance. Good is knowing whose we are and who's in us. That's good significance. You know, every one of us is significant and so unique and so special. The bad part of significance is striving for it from a place of orphan-heartedness. So that's the backdrop for where I want to go with this uh, passage this morning. Um, and hopefully open up a key that the Lord has been speaking to me through, I mean, believe me, anything I share is stuff the Lord's doing in me. I, I'm sorry. You could ask me to preach on a passage, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll absolutely study it out and do it. But I have to go with what God has been speaking to me in my life so that it's fresh for you. And I'm going to be very real and share exactly uh, some things that hopefully are helpful. But this, my whole goal here is opening up a key for us to overcome this strive for unhealthy significance, okay? Uh, and it builds on Josiah's message from last week. Josiah had this message. Um, he's just such a sweetheart of a guy, if you get to know him. I mean, he's got a wonderful, wonderful heart. He shared on something that I think you could walk away with and say, oh, that was a pretty, that w didn't have a lot of depth or meat to it. But as I thought about it more and more this week, I'm like, no, actually he shared, most of us don't know the details of the place he was sharing from, but he had gone through a very difficult situation in the last year. Uh, he encountered some real challenges in life. And the way he has gotten through it has been through friendships around him and knowing he's a son. I mean, that sounds so simple, but it's so profound. Like that every time you're faced with anxiety or fear or challenges, you have to go back to that and say, no, I am a son. I'm favored by my dad. He loves me. And you ground yourself in that so strong that that can bring you through any challenge you have. No matter what we're going through, knowing whose we are should get us through anything that we're going through. And we've been through some difficult stuff in, in Joy's family and my, our marriage and challenges. And um, I didn't always draw on this, but I will more going forward. Um, but so this was going to build on Josiah's insight from last week. I thought it was a profound message. You know, I met with another, um, and this is just kind of a side, but I met with a believer this week who's a leader in this place who's been here for many years, and he shared something so profound with Joy and I, and he said, um, you know what, over the last couple of years, I really, really started to love people. I truly have a heart of love for people. And he's talking about people here in this body. And I listened to that and said, okay, there, I mean, this is a guy who teaches, he, he has a ministry here, uh, you would know him, um, but that's not the point of who it is. It's the point of that is moving to the high levels of spiritual maturity. When you have someone who says, a talented person who can lead, who can speak, and they're like, you know what, I'm really, truly developing a deep love for people. I get here early, I look for people, I encourage people. I'm like, okay, I'm sitting across from someone now who is going to high levels of spiritual maturity. I don't care what anyone says, spiritual maturity is not just knowing a lot of books and Bibles and having everything down, it's growing in our deepening love for Jesus. And you can't do that without developing a love for his people. So I was so encouraged by that, uh, such a profound thing. Um, you know, because here's the thing, Jesus is a person that we fall in love with. He's not just a, a way of laws and rules, you know, it's, uh, he's a person that we get to know and we see him affecting people in our lives. It's awesome. So, with that in mind, okay, I want to read this. Read this passage. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke 10. Luke 10, and I'm not going to read, I'm going to refer to about the first 20 chapters, but I'm not going to read it all. Uh, so this is right when Jesus is sending out the 70. Jesus sends out the 72, actually, to be technical. Um, numbers matter. Uh, 72. I love this part because right before this passage, right before he says, okay, now it's time for you guys to go out. I'm going to send you out. Verses before, they're asking if they can call down fire and wipe out the people of Samaria. And he rebukes them and says, you're demonic. You don't know what spirit you're of. And then a few passages later, now he said, okay, now you're ready. We're going to send you all out. It's like, that's the heart of God. You know, here they were, you know, just verses earlier, getting rebuked by Jesus, you know. Um, and now he says a few verses later, it, says, it just goes right into it. And after this, the Lord appointed 72 and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And Jesus told him, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't take a purse or bag of sandals. And then he goes through all this stuff. You know, when you enter a house and when they don't receive you, just move on and go to the next, next place. Go to where you're welcomed. You know, he gives them instructions. And then he says at the end, so, um, so then it says, so, so they went out. He sent them all out. They went out and did their thing. They followed the instructions the Lord had said. They went out in twos. They went out to minister. Um, and I love this. It says, the 72 returned with joy, and, he, and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Uh, oh, that's such an interesting thing. I had read that recently, so I really dove into that to understand. Such an amazing thing Jesus says. I saw the effects of what you guys were doing. I saw Satan fall like lightning. I've given you authority. I've given you power. You know, when Jesus empowers us, we have power. (laughs) You know, like when he sends us out on assignment, whatever assignment you have, you have the authority to complete that. That's so awesome. We don't need to fear. He's given us victory. You know, he had sent them out here and he had not even died and ascended and officially given over the keys yet. And he had given them authority. He sent them out with authority. So this is the part I want to focus on, though. Verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. That, that last part of it I have always read, and here's the thing, it, what it's... It's not necessarily referring to the westernized Christianity you know, talk that we have about, well, he's not saying rejoice that you're going to go to heaven when you die. That, that's not the fullness of what he's saying there. Rejoice, the literal means rejoice that your names were written in the heavens. Now, that is, has a whole different meaning for us. So rejoice that your names were written in the heavens. When it talks about heavens, it talks about government and it talks about authority. And a lot in the Old Testament, when we see, you know, the Hebrews use the term the heavens a lot, referring to government and authority. You know, we've learned through the Walton Academy some of this stuff, that when it talks about stars falling from the sky, the moon turning to blood, that's speaking of earthly authorities falling, that there were going to be transitions of new government coming in. And we know that Christ came in and ushered in a new reign. When Joseph was t- saw visions and he saw things falling from the sky, things bowing to him, those were speaking of authorities on earth coming and laying down at his feet. You know, it was speaking of kingship. So it's such a powerful verse that we hear. So here's the thing, too. In the old days, cities had recorded uh, records with names. So they didn't have computers and we don't have databases back then, but they had literal books and your name was in there. And who you are, which family you belong to, or whatever, however they kept that exactly. But they had books. Your name could be blotted out of the book if you passed away. That's why we see references to that in the Bible about your name being blotted out. Um, Our names can't be blotted out of this book. That's awesome. So we have an image here, Jesus saying, of a king taking a census of citizens who are in his kingdom that your names are recorded in the heavens. A citizen of heaven means that they're friends of God. Amen. Jesus is saying something here so profound. that you're, He's saying, like, if you, your names are recorded in heavens, your names are in the official book, in the citizenship of heaven, which is an eternal kingdom. It's not an earthly kingdom. There were earthly books. This is an eternal. Your name's in there. You have been approved by God. You're permitted to dwell with him. That's what it's saying. It's eternal. Relationship is eternal. So to me, it's so powerful that what he says in that verse, he's like, all authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to you. But don't just rejoice in that. Rejoice that you have been ushered into a new kingdom. Rejoice that God saw you and you didn't even know what you needed. And he established a new kingdom and he brought you in it. You've been adopted as a son. Like, you know, when I'm, my parents are here, nothing ever changes with my relationship with my family because I was born from them. My mom's here, my dad's here. Uh, I don't have to, I can do all this great stuff and I can 
go and say, you know, and I do, I share life with my parents and they know what I'm doing on my jobs and stuff like that and I'll share victories and challenges or whatever. Um, but it, it's like, that's all great, but my greatest thing is my relationship with my parents. And that's the same thing with us in the kingdom. Yeah, it's great. Everything we're doing, yes, you're going to do this. You're going to have power. And I, we believe in that fully here, like stepping out in the authority of the kingdom of God, demonstrating the kingdom. We saw some of that this morning. We're just worshiping. We're in his presence. Um, but I love the, the point here that Jesus is saying, don't just rejoice that you're empowered. Rejoice in whose you are. Rejoice in whose you are. Rejoice that you're friends of the king himself. Amen. And I wanted to share that this morning, really to build on what Josiah had said last week about sonship. You're a son. Any time that I have, you know, if we're feeling depressed, we feel anxious, whatever, we're struggling in life, can we not lock onto that and say, I can rejoice because I know whose I am. And he holds the keys, and he knows right where I'm at right now. And I don't have to get into comparison. I don't care about envy. You know, I don't need to compare myself with the next person, how far they are along in life, or how not far I feel like compared to them, or whatever. I know whose I am, that I am loved, and I am approved by God. Amen. And I think that sounds so basic to us sometimes, but I tell you, if we can really lock onto that in our life, and that's the bedrock of our foundation in the kingdom, there's no room for any of the stuff I talked about earlier. We don't deal with comparison, right? We don't deal with envy. We don't deal with unworthy thoughts of significance because, well, I, of course I'm significant. Look who my father is. He ushered me into a kingdom, and he's empowered me to extend his rule on earth, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to go after that. Because, he, because I know what's in his heart, and his heart is for the world to get to know him. So I want to extend the heart of God because he's a good father and we love Jesus, um, but that's coming from a place of a very godly significance. So I just wanted to share that this morning. This is, honestly, it's a reason for being happy. You are his, Amen. right? I mean, good. it's like you're his. Good. You're known. He knows you. When you leave here today, you can be driving the car and say, God, you know me, and you're not disappointed in me, and you know where I'm at, and your heart is for me to grow and to develop and to form relationships on earth and to see revival come to a community, and I get to be part of that. It is so huge. So it's so huge. I want to just kind of close this out by just sharing a um, personal story here. Uh, you know, people ask me a lot of times, how do, you, how do you do what you do? You know, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Joy, you know, I just don't think like that, you know. So, um, but yeah, I am in business. We lead a church. I sit on other boards in the community. I'm very active. I have four daughters, one who's here asleep in the front row. Oh, no, she's awake. Hi, Alexa, <laughs> who I love. <laughs> oh, sorry, Juliana, there's two. Yeah, <laughs> she's never asleep. She's always awake with a lot of energy. Um, so, so life is full. I don't walk around saying I'm busy because, you know, everybody says they're busy and I, I just hate that. You know, it's like, no, I'm not busy. I'm enjoying life. Everything that I have right now, I have brought into my life or if I don't like something, I move it off to the side. Life does not overwhelm me. I want to overwhelm life, you know, so... Um, but it doesn't mean that I don't go through challenges and things like that. So I want to just be very real. You know, I, I think that most of us think that pastors don't go through challenges, that once you've got up here, everything stops. And, you know, you live this perfect, sanctified life. And unfortunately, in America, we've built up that model, and we think that's actually true, and it's not. Uh, I talk with them all the time in this area, and you, you wouldn't believe what people go through and struggle with in their own personal lives. And they're all great people, but we're people, you know? I mean, we, we are people. Um, Last year, um, last year I was suffering in the beginning of the year in the spring and then going into the summer with lower back pain and, and I was not sleeping at night. And it was so uncomfortable, so irritating. I don't usually need a lot of sleep. I need like five hours a night and I am fine. Um, but I wasn't even getting that. So I was having back pain. It was keeping me up at night. 
Uh, I was feeling other physical symptoms in my body, even like heart palpitations and things. And like I'm a, per you know, I do my shakes every morning. I'm healthy. I'm like, what is going on here? This is not normal. So uh, this went on for a series of months, and I just said to Joy, I said, I, this is just not right. I don't really understand what's wrong. I, I feel like I'm doing okay. So I, I actually, uh, we have a friend of ours who's a Christian counselor. I scheduled a bunch of ses few sessions with her, just sharing. I said, I feel like I'm carrying a lot, um, but it was just so helpful to talk it through with somebody and let people know how, how I was doing. Uh, I thought I was doing that, but what I had realized over time was, you know how you just, you kind of grin and bear it through life, you know? It's like, I'm not a complainer. I got stuff on my plate. I'm going to move forward with it. Um, and I felt like a good relationship with Jesus through the whole thing. It wasn't like I was off in left field. Um, but what I had done over time was just built up more and more stuff, and I'm just wired to, like, I'm just going to, I'll handle it all, and we'll move it all forward, you know? So, but you, you hit a point, and you really can't do that. So I was sharing it with her, just sharing my heart. I brought joy into a few of these meetings. We were just trying to get at some of the roots of it. And one of the things the Lord showed me um, was that I, I was internalizing expectations that I had placed on myself. I always say, I don't worry with other people's expectations. I have enough on myself to deal with. So, right, maybe you can relate with that, you know, high standards or whatever. Um, but I had internalized a lot of that stuff. And I wasn't really sharing it. I hadn't become, I was not aware of it at, at that point. Um, so my body was manifesting as a result of that. You know, can anyone relate with that? When you know it's like you think you're doing good, but then your body's manifesting otherwise, you know? So, but I will tell you, what the Lord showed me through that point was he revealed that, you know, you are trying to do this stuff more on your own than you realize. Amen. And you're putting expectations to see things grow and develop um, that are my expectations. So I'm running around wired with all these expectations on myself that not necessarily other people put on me, you know? Um, so when I was able to share that, I shared it with friends and we talked about it. Um, the Lord just brought me through. He revealed that thing. So uh, I'll tell you this, the testimony in this is, I know it's a long story, but I haven't had any back pain in eight months, nine months. I haven't had any of the symptoms Hallelujah. that I feel like before. So, you know, I'm not a psychologist. You know, I did do a bachelor's of that when I was doing my undergraduate, but that was a long time ago. I don't know enough about psychosomatics, all that stuff. But I know that when we step out of the will of God or we step into something that we feel like we need to do in our own strength, we, we move a little bit off the path, right? Now we've taken things into our own hands and we feel like we can accomplish it. And it was like, for me, it was a little bit of a course correct, the Lord saying no. So anytime now I start to feel, if I ever feel any anxiousness or overwhelming, I know immediately that that's not the will of God for me. I can identify it. I can identify the feeling. I can identify the thought. And, and I don't go there. And I haven't dealt with any of these symptoms in, in eight, nine months. It's just incredible. Everybody, like friends here know I've had, I have two degenerative discs in my back. You know, it's, it's the bad discs that everybody has a problem with. I don't remember the numbers, but I think everybody has a problem with these somehow or something. Um, so I always have people come up, how's your back? I'm like, it's absolutely fine. I've had no problem in like almost a year now. It's coming up upon a year, right? Yeah, yeah. So I just share that to really put feet to what I'm sharing, that when we know whose we are, when we know that we're loved, when we know that we're approved, there's no room for doubt. There's no room for comparison. There's no room in your life for pressure on yourself that God did not put there. That's good. And when we have that down, we can start to identify those symptoms and those things that want to lead us back down that path. You know, it's like you nip it off right when it starts, you know? So you just don't even go there. So I just wanted to share that as an encouragement to us. I really feel like... Um, we probably can all relate with some of this comparison, envy, but when we know whose we are and we know who our king is, who our dad is, that is enough peace for me. And, and it doesn't mean I've slowed down or anything like that. Like, I, we're moving forward. We've got a lot going on. It's great. I love life right now. Um, but we have to keep that in check. So I hope that ministers to you. I want to call up Joy at this point. She's going to close us out. So I'm going to just steer this a little bit.
towards the moms. I want to give you a gift this morning for Mother's Day. And I feel like this could be a very significant gift, better than any flowers you might receive or uh, anything else. I want to see you free from mom guilt. I don't know if everyone knows that term. It seems to me it's a term that's come up more and more in the last five years or more. Um, mom guilt is, can be intense. And when Steve talks about comparison, I don't think there's a role in life where comparison is more of a issue than moms comparing themselves to each other. Because in reality, we all want our kids to do well. We all want our kids to succeed. And the way that we often measure our kids' success is by comparing our motherhood and our children to other people's motherhood and children. <laughs> how am I measuring up? How am I doing? How are my kids? Are you doing what I'm doing? Should I be doing what you're doing? It's real. Can I see some moms nod your head? Like, is it real? You feel like you understand it? I think that motherhood in this current society, the intensity of it has taken on a new level because the things that we are expected to do for our children are pretty far beyond a lot of what mothers of previous generations had to do. You know, mothers of previous generations, you have to feed your kids, care for their emotional needs, you know, push them outside to go play for a while. And, uh, and you don't really have to, you didn't, you didn't have to worry about as much as it seems like society tells us that we need to worry about now. Yes, that's true. This is, I, I read this very interesting thing. Some of you may have seen it on Facebook, but how to be a mom in 2018, okay? <laughs> Make sure to meet your children's academic needs, social needs, psychological needs, mental needs, spiritual needs, physical needs, nutritional needs, that's a big one right now, right? And social needs. But be careful not to overstimulate or understimulate or improperly medicate. Don't be a helicopter mom, but don't neglect them. And you also need to raise them in an environment that is screen-free, processed food-free, GMO-free, negative energy-free, plastic-free. Plastic's becoming a big thing now, lately. Can't do plastic anymore. Can't do plastic bottles. You can't do plastic bags at Wegmans. You have to be environmentally conscious. You need to raise them in an environment that is body-positive. Don't ever use the word F-A-T. That's not allowed anymore. Socially conscious, pesticide-free, egalitarian but also authoritative and nurturing. Foster independence in your children and be gentle but not overly permissive. Raise them in a two-story home, multilingual. It's better if you teach your children foreign languages when they're young because they learn it quicker. This was a thing. When Marissa was little, I'm like, oh, I have to teach her Spanish. This is the time to do it. It took about three days, and I was like, okay, screw that. I'm not. We're not doing that. Sign language, Spanish. Get as many languages into them as early on as you can, because you have a lot of time for that when you're changing their diapers and trying to feed them. Preferably, you should live in a cul-de-sac because that's really the only place where kids are safely allowed to play now these days. You can't just like let them go. Um, and you should have a backyard. About one and a half siblings is best, but they need to be properly spaced about two years apart for proper development. And don't forget the coconut oil. <laughs> it's really important. I was talking, we were talking to John Lampanero recently, and he's a chef. And he actually said, I never even heard of coconut oil. I'm a chef. And now it's everything. It's ev you eat it, you put it on your skin, you use it for diaper rashes, you use it for uh, sunscreen, you use it to take your makeup off, make sure you carry it around in a little bag like I do in my purse. I, I have some. It's ridiculous. Anyway, so there's a lot to live up to. I mean, my, my, one of my daughters plays soccer. Do you remember when soccer used to be like two months out of the year? and you'd sign your kids up for a nice little soccer thing and they'd play soccer. Now it's 10 months 
because there's the indoor season and there's the outdoor season. And there's two months that they have off, but if you really want to progress on the travel soccer team, you don't take those two months off. You actually sign them up for the Empire Soccer League so that they can practice on their off season, during their off season. They're 12. We didn't sign our daughter up for the two-month soccer season in between on her day on her month off because she actually wanted to take some time off of soccer and for a moment I was like oh my gosh but you're not going to be as good as the other girls on the team you might want to sign up for the Empire Soccer League in between on your two months off and I didn't actually say it out loud I thought it in my mind and I said do you want to play and she said no actually I want to just take two months off and I was like okay I think that's okay I think you could take two months <laughs> off of soccer one of my daughters is in dance and she's doing dance and she has a recital coming up. I thought it was just a nice little dance recital. Tickets are $10 a piece. You have to actually pay for the dancer. Uh, and just let them know if you want to purchase the t-shirt that goes with the recital and the trophy. And you can't record it with your own iPhone. You have to buy the DVD from them. And there's professional pictures being done. So if you want to get a professional picture of your daughter in her dance costume, that needs to be done. I mean, come on. <laughs> Am I the only one who's like, this is ridiculous. It's a dance recital. I feel like I should have been a mother like 30 years ago when things were like way simpler. Because I feel like sometimes I'm the only one who's like, no, I'm not getting professional pictures of my daughter in her dance. I'll take them at home before I leave. But then I have to go there and see all the pictures on the wall. And Am I going to get one of those? No, you're not. No. <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a little intense, and everybody just needs to just relax. Everybody just needs to relax. But because of that, this mom guilt stuff, it's real, and it's super annoying. And I feel really bad for moms who are plagued by it. And I was. There was a period of time in my life where I was plagued by mom guilt because we had our first daughter and things weren't as clear cut with her as they are with some children. And we were challenged right out of the gate. I never had an opportunity to be cocky about my motherhood. Right out of the gate, I was like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. I am, yep, she's having a complete meltdown right here in the middle of church. Yep, that's how we do church. You know, some of you might remember dragging her, dragging her out, bringing her in the car, buckling in her car seat and say, okay, when you're done, we'll go back inside. It was real. But this is the difficulty that I had. I felt like my insecurities and my comparison and my inadequacies as a mother were going to ruin my children. Can anyone else relate with that? <laughs> I mean, I was plagued by this fear. Call it mom guilt, call it fear, call it comparison, envy, jealousy. It's all wrapped up in that. And this is something that plagued me. And what happens is when you feel like you're inadequate as a mother, guess what? You're going to see behaviors in your children that actually confirm to you that your inadequacies are screwing them up. <laughs> They're actually gonna do things that go, oh, yep, yeah, that's my fault. I've created that, I did that. If only I had A, B, and C, you wouldn't be doing this right now. But if you believe that lie, you are going to see the behaviors that are going to reinforce it over and over and over again. And what would happen is I would, I would see behaviors that would reinforce the fact that I was inadequate and then I would feel fear and I would panic. What happens when you're a mom and your kid is showing you bad behaviors and you panic? It's not pretty. You add your fear to the fear that they have of the behavior that they don't know how to control yet and it just becomes this spiral of everybody's negative fear and negative energy creating these terrible situations. And when I would see that type of behavior, I would panic and I would, I would pour my fear, add it to their fear. And there were times that we would just have these explosive situations take place because I was afraid of what I was seeing. And I became more and more aware of this. And you know, there were good days and there were bad days. Luckily, uh, over time I was learning 
how to control it, but at the root of it all was the fact that I needed to get rid of the lie that I was inadequate as a mother. And if I didn't get rid of the fear that I was inadequate as a mother, there is nothing, there is no book I could read to teach me how to control my temper that was going to fix the problem. The only way the problem was going to be fixed is by understanding the truth of how God feels about my motherhood. So thank God that in 2013, I went to a women's retreat here at New Hope, and I, I went up front after Karen Welton was preaching. It was the first time that I had met her. I went up front, and I knelt down on the floor, and I said, God, I am not leaving this place until you take this lie away from me. I will not mother my children feeling like I am inadequate because it's ruining the motherhood that I know that you're called me to live. So I went up front, I, I sobbed my brains out, and I said, I'm not leaving until it's gone. Not leaving. And Karen came up to me, and she was praying over me, and she prophesied over me something that has been one of the most significant truths that I've learned in my whole life, and it shifted. It shifted the belief that I was inadequate, and that's what I'm hoping is going to happen for you today. That's my gift for you. So this is the truth. She saw a picture, and in the picture, there was me walking along, trying to balance a whole bunch of boxes. You can you picture them all piled up, and I'm trying to balance, and I'm walking along, and I'm dropping boxes behind me along the way while I'm walking. And in the picture, she saw Jesus walking behind me, picking up the boxes that I dropped. And what I learned is that even in my inadequacies, Jesus has got my back. And no matter what I do, and no matter how I mess up, and no matter how poorly I may do with trying to live up to the standard that society has set for me, I've got Jesus who's got my back. And when you understand that truth, you don't have to focus on your inadequacies. And when you see your children having behaviors that aren't good, because they will, it no longer reinforces the lie that I'm inadequate. It allows me to pull on the truth of what Jesus has for me and be able to see my children through his perspective. There is a beauty in being able to step back, not from a place of fear, but from a place of truth, and to be able to see our children for the truth of who they are. And we make it a point when we're parenting our children to speak the truth of who they are into their lives, even when their behavior is showing us the opposite. If you know that God has said that your child is fearless, but your child struggles with fear and has behaviors, maybe they're afraid of the dark, maybe they have nightmares, maybe they run into your room every night because they're afraid, 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 afraid to meet new people, afraid to go new places. If God has said they're fearless, then they're fearless. Amen. Their behaviors do not determine who they are. And as mothers and as fathers, the beauty is that we can speak into our children the truth of who they are, regardless of how their behavior shows us. We did this over and over again with one of our daughters who was very shy and very reserved and if you were to see her today, you wouldn't think that about her. And we would say things over her all the time. You're fearless, you're fearless, you're fearless. We bought her pictures that showed her that. We bought her a sign that above her closet that says fearless. And we would say that. You're so fearless. And she would say, Mom, no, I'm not. I'm afraid of everything. <laughs> and we would say, no, no, God said you were fearless. That's who you are. You know, and one day she was teaching in the Sunday school downstairs. And... Uh, she was assisting the teacher, and the teacher said, Olivia, uh, can you share with us about what, what, is, what are some of your strengths? And you know what she said? I'm fearless. <laughs> she started to believe it, because that's the gift that we have as parents. When we're not living from a place of fear, we can see our children for who they are, and we can speak truth. So speak truth, speak truth, speak truth over your children, regardless of the behavior that you're seeing in them. I want to share with you one special, special story that you, some of you may have heard before, but it really is very special to me and to uh, just reinforce this. 
one of our daughters had a situation where she would just have raging episodes. And uh, she was younger, you know, she was like from three to six or so. Raging episodes. And I remember thinking, this is not normal. And we felt like we were pretty good parents, doing a pretty good job. She's surrounded by people who love her. Something is wrong here. And we didn't have the tools to know exactly how to deal with it the best way, but we were doing the best that we could. And there were days that I responded well, and there were days that I didn't. Well, there was this one, one day um, that she was having this complete meltdown. I know people say children have temper tantrums. I'm telling you, this was not a temper tantrum. This was like a meltdown. And what would happen is I would have to grab her under my arm, and I would have to carry her upstairs to her room, put her, push her into her bedroom, and hold the door shut, and stand on the other side of the door, and hold the doorknob, because there was nothing that I could do to calm her down. And these were scary moments. There were moments that I would stand on the other side of that door, and I would get my phone, and I would call my dad, I would call Ralph, I would call Steve at work, and I would say, I. I don't know what to do. She's out of control and I can't get her calmed down. I don't know what to do. You can imagine that if I have a fear that my inadequacies as a mom were gonna mess her up, that when I saw this behavior, it was terrifying. Well, it was after I had the truth revealed to me that Jesus has got my back and I deliberately made a choice to say, okay, when these situations happen, I am going to stop, I am going to take a deep breath and I'm gonna say, Jesus, what are we gonna do about this? How are we gonna help her right now? Because every time it was different and he would tell me different things each time, but if I would, would, if I would take that moment to say, how, is the, how can we help her the best? He would show me. So I'm standing on the other side of the door, I'm holding the door shut, I have tears streaming down my face because I just don't know what to do and I stop and I say, Jesus, what do I do? How do I help her right now? And immediately he spoke in my spirit, he said, go in her room and speak truth over her. So I said, okay, I'm gonna disconnect my panic button. I am, gonna, I am gonna believe the truth that you have my back. And I'm gonna go in that room and I'm gonna speak truth over her. So I went in the room, I sat in the corner to try to protect myself in some degree. And my heart was pounding and I didn't know how it was gonna go. But I sat in that room and I said to her, you are so loved. And I just kept saying out loud, you're so calm. You are so patient. You are so kind. You love your family. You love your sisters. You have such a beautiful life. You are so wanted. And as I was saying those things, she was saying, no, I'm not. No, no, I'd stop. No, I don't love my family. I hate my family. I don't love you. And I just kept speaking truth. And this went on for 20 minutes. She was throwing things at me. She was screaming and yelling. And I just sat there with Jesus and I spoke truth over her. The opposite of what I was seeing, the opposite of the behavior that I was seeing. And I spoke into her the truth of who God says that she is. And about 20 minutes into that, something broke. And she took this big deep breath she walked over to me, she put her head down on my lap, and she said, Mom, none of the things that I said was true. I love you. And she laid on my lap and I stroked her hair and we sat there for 45 minutes. And I had this beautiful opportunity to tell her all about her birth and how loved she was and how excited we were when she was born and how we didn't know whether she was gonna be a girl or a boy. We were in the room and her grandmas were both there and we were waiting to see what she was gonna be and she came out and, and Grammy said, it's a girl! And we were all so excited and we loved you and we wanted you so badly. And when you were born, our hearts just exploded with love and I was able to speak over her and just tell her about her birth. I don't think it's anything that we had ever gone into that deep before. 
But something special happened in her heart that day because I think God broke a lie that she was believing in her heart that she wasn't wanted. And I don't know where that came from or why that was there, but God showed me it was there, and I broke it off of her that day. And if I had been panicking, and if I had approached her from a place of fear, I never would have had the opportunity to, number one, speak truth into her life, and number one, have one of the most special moments that I've ever had with her, where God created a deeper bond between the two of us. So this is my gift to you today, moms and dads. You are doing mighty, mighty work. And you have the opportunity to see past the behaviors that scare you and speak truth into who your children truly are. So take that because you have such a beautiful opportunity and no one can speak truth into, their, into your children like a mom and a dad can. Mothers of adult children out there who may be saying, wow, I wish I had known this. Can I just encourage you that it's not too late to speak truth over your adult children? That it's not too late for you to tell your adult children the way God sees them. Because it still means a heck of a lot coming from your mom, whether you're a kid or whether you're an adult. If you're a grandparent and you can tell your your son or your daughter what a great parent they are, even if they're not. If you can tell them what a great job they're doing at life, even if they're not. Speak the truth into your children no matter how old they are. It's not too late for you. Can I have all the moms stand up? I just want to pray for you this morning. I want you to repeat after me, because if you're like me and you were believing this lie that you're inadequate, we're just going to believe God's going to break it off of you this morning. So repeat after me, Jesus, I give you my fear of being inadequate. I give you my fear of messing up. I know that I will make mistakes. And I know my children will make mistakes. But Jesus, I know that you've got my back. I know that you are walking behind me, picking up the boxes that I drop along the way. I declare truth over my life that no matter what, you see me as righteous. You see me as good, and you love my heart, and you love my heart as a mother, and I choose to see my children through your eyes. Help me to see who they are and to pull the gold out of them as often as I can, because that's what you do for me. So be blessed. Step out in the truth of who you are as a mom. You're a good mom, and Jesus has got your back. So go see your children the way God sees them and speak truth over their lives. Thanks so much for listening to this week's message. Feel free to contact us for further resources at newhopecom.org.